You found it. No nonsense. No scripts. Real people on real issues. Hard hitting and action packed with logic, reason, and common sense. Everything you need and everything you've been looking for in a podcast. This is Dynamic Independence with Johnny Anderson, Bruce Adams, Marty Foster, and GP. Welcome to it. Okay, let's go ahead and get started today. I am so happy to have a very special guest with us today, but we'll get to that in just a second. Before we go any further, Bruce, how are you? It's good to see you. Yeah, healthy alive. Thank you. Fantastic. And without further ado, good friend of mine, you have come back. And I, I really appreciate the phone call a couple of days ago, checking on me to see how I was and the text message when I didn't answer uh, because, you know, well, maybe you thought I was dead. I'm not sure. But either way, I appreciate the uh, the call and the checkup. Tavish, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine, sir. And my hopes and prayers go out to those affected by the severe flooding in Europe and China. I'm glad you're okay. When I didn't hear from you, it was like, oh, man, because I saw the footage and the, the, the footage of the highways with the uh, army searching through chest high water. I just wanted to reach out to make sure, okay, you're a good friend of mine. Yeah, and I appreciate that. I, I appreciate that. Uh, but where I am, there hasn't been any flooding. So, uh, I mean, I've been very fortunate. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, the others uh, in these these different parts where that's actually been taking place, not so fortunate. And it's strange because there's been flooding north, there's been flooding east, there's been flooding west, and there's been flooding south, just not where I'm at. And I don't quite understand. The weather here has been fantastic. There hasn't been a cloud in the sky, especially for the last three days. And I've been out splashing around in the pool getting some sun. I feel kind of guilty, to be fair, because of that. Uh, I got sunburned yesterday, and these poor people that are like an hour and a half north of me, I mean, they've lost everything. The same thing's going on around me. For weeks, we've had thunderstorms and heavy rain. My old stomping ground in Western Mass, a lot of towns have washed out roads and bridges north in Vermont, New Hampshire, south. But as far as us, yeah, we've had some heavy rain and some ground flooding, but overall, it hasn't been that bad at all. And yet I look at the news, I'm like, oh, my God, how fortunate we are. You know, it makes you take a moment and give thanks for everything you have. It does. It really does. We've had a lot of new listeners. We've picked up a lot of new listeners since the last time you were on. And I was explaining a little bit yesterday when we were kind of wrapping up for the day. I said, you know, I'm going to have a very special guest on tomorrow. It's a good friend of mine. You and I have been friends for, uh, it's it's been about 10 years now, hasn't it? Or some, somewhere close to that? It's been about that, hasn't it? Yeah, I do believe so. And one of the things that is fascinating, that I've always found fascinating, is... <laughs> We can maintain that friendship. We can have all kinds of conversations about politics or everyday life or, or whatever it is. And we agree on almost nothing when it comes to politics. And I find that absolutely fascinating. In a world that is so divided, we can still sit down and we can have a fantastic conversation about politics and, and how things are in the world and how we see things differently. And we can bounce ideas off of each other. And that's one of the things that we're lacking these days. Everything's so rigid. Everybody's at each other's throats. No one can have a conversation. So today is going to be one of those days where we can actually sit down, the three of us, and we can prove that conversations, when you don't agree, 
can happen and you can be civil and at the end of it you can part ways and be friends and you can do it again indeed sir yeah but today what i want to do is i want to focus on some things that we do agree on but we can also get into some things that we don't agree on uh, but i want to start by getting into the things that we do agree on and that is we agree on wanting a constitutional republic in America. I mean, we like that. We like uh, free and fair elections, no matter which way they go. We agree on things like the Second Amendment and private property, basically keeping the government small and limited and more or less out of your way. Yes. But and, and this is really strange. This is a really strange um, way that we're going to go with this. Senator Chuck Schumer from New York has come out today and he said that spending trillions Spending trillions, as if we haven't done that already. Spending trillions will ease inflation pressures. How do you ease inflation pressures by spending trillions upon trillions of dollars? Now, I'm not going to I'm not going to play party politics. I, I don't like that. I agree that we have these political parties and things. OK, fine. We've got them now, but that doesn't mean we're always going to have them. Political parties have been part of this problem over the last, well, 100 years, more or less, I would argue, possibly even longer than that. But especially over the last 70 years, they've been to our detriment. Uh, but we need to get back to the system where we can vote for people based on their ideas. But how on earth do you ease inflation pressures by spending trillions upon trillions of dollars? Now, I don't agree with the government spending all kinds of money. I'm actually for the government declaring bankruptcy, to be fair, because nearest I can tell, whenever the government defaults on the government's debt, it's never the government's fault. It's always the people's fault. But he's from up north. Obviously, he's from New York. You're from a little bit further north than that, Tavish. And I know that you know people and I know people that agree with this guy and agree with his politics. How do we stop inflation by spending trillions of dollars? Well, that's my concern. It's, I understand infrastructure, things like that, social safety nets. But when you're talking about trillions and trillions of dollars, at what point does our money become as, as valuable as monopoly money? You know, where's the value in it? You spend so much. Where is the value of the cash in hand? You know, how much money is that actually worth when you're printing it off the presses like there's no tomorrow? What's it backed up by? It used to be, I believe, a gold standard and a silver standard. We got away from that. What is actually backing up the value of our money as it comes off the presses and goes out for all these pie in the sky? I, I let me rephrase that. I shouldn't say that, but for all these ideas of the political parties, and it's not so much a politician, but it seems to be the priorities of the different political parties that seem to be driving this, whether it's for this or against that. There's no consensus. There's no middle ground. And I've said it before, but the ability to compromise, to come together, agree to disagree, but still do something for the common good, that is disappearing. And you said it yourself, how divided the country is becoming. That's what worries me. Whether it's economic, political, everything's becoming weaponized. We're not talking to each other. We're yelling at each other. No one seems to be listening. No one seems to be saying, hey, let's sit down and talk. Here's my points. Here's your points. We can agree to disagree. But we also can agree that, hey, we're neighbors. We're family. We're friends. There's no need to be at each other's throats. Good men can disagree on subjects yet still at the end of the day say, hey, the common good comes first. Might be a pie in the sky idea, but that's something I believe in. I'm not necessarily sure that it's a it's a pie in the sky idea. I mean, we've we've actually accomplished those things before. And the reason I say we've accomplished those things before is because we actually have. You actually brought it up several times to me before. You've mentioned uh, Tip O'Neill many times uh, here when, when yes. you talk about uh, Ronald Reagan and, and everything else. And Tip O'Neill said that all politics are local. And I agree with that. 
I, I agree with that. Getting they away are. from the local politique, if you will, has been the biggest mistake that we've made. That's what's led us off course. This is why we can't have the conversations with people. This is why we can't sit down and discuss things rather than yell. This is why we have out-of-control spending at the federal level as opposed to manageable spending at the local level for what you can afford. So if we can manage that from the local level, then you won't have uh, out-of-control lunatic senators like Senator Schumer here running around talking about how spending trillions on infrastructure and social programs uh, will lift productivity and the labor force growth. Yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to figure that one out. While uh, focusing attention on climate change, again, with all this stuff. But I mean, if you're focusing on those things at the local level, if you're focusing on infrastructure at the local level, if you're focusing on social programs at the local level, you don't need an overbearing, out of control, bankrupt, degenerate federal government to do all of this stuff on your behalf, do you? That's true. But it seems the way the system is set up localities are beholden to the federal government for funding for the most part, whether it's roads or bridges, uh, the electrical grid, things like that. A lot of small communities don't have the money to maintain everything that, in theory, they have control over. So in turn, the federal government, oh, you're nice, we'll give you this. You're not nice, you're not getting any of the pie. And again, it's, it's, it's the politicians who sit in Washington, every now and then they go out to meet the people, listen to the people, or at least listen to them talk. They may not take it to heart, but they have no connection to the nitty gritty, the the localities that are making up the country. And I think that's the disconnect. You get to Washington and it's like either you're too busy raising money to get reelected or the lobbyists are pounding on your door or you're beholden to the party or your chairmanship or that nice office with the uh, view of the Washington Monument, whatever it might be. It, It just seems the disconnect is getting bigger and bigger and the divide is getting larger and larger. We need to get back to, like you said, let the local level say, hey, here's what we have. Here's what we need rather than the other way around. I'm, I have to agree. Um, it, we've been talking about that uh, quite a bit. Um, you need to focus on, you know, going back to the local level of politics, uh, you know, it, be it even if it's just your school board or something, you know, uh, it, it, try to get into um, some kind of local position. I mean, uh, we, we need people that still believe in the the constitution and you know small government we need those people back in office and running things you're you're seeing um different locales think they can teach critical race theory or they they think they can um you know vilify people that still own guns or you know trying to push through policies that that are just are un-american i mean they they violate the constitution so we we need we need people to stand up and you know do that at the local level Oh, I highly agree with that. But I also see the problem that the higher up you go in terms of positions, the more money you need, the more, the less time you have to devote to those local issues because now you're worried about, ooh, I need money to get it reelected. I have to play nice with the lobbyists. Oh, these people think I owe them something. And you, you just get so far away from where you started that now you're part of the problem instead of the solution. I mean, I could be wrong, but at yeah. least from my position, that's what it looks like. No, I, I have to agree because the uh, lobbyists, um, I think, is just bribery. Um, they, they should be barred from uh, being able to throw money at politicians. Or uh, technically what they do is technically it's not the politicians they're throwing money at. It's their campaign or um, the, the district they represent. Uh, so, you know, technically it's not going into the pocketbook of the politician. But 
you know full well that they're, they're, they're uh, shifting money around to put it in their own pocket anyway. Oh, oh yeah, they're benefiting from it. And, and it's not just politicians. Look at the lobbyists with the um, drug industry. Hey, Doc, I'll give you a free lunch or, or these or that. The other thing, if you tell your patients, try out this medication, try out this pill. Look at the oxycodone mm-hmm. issue, how, how that was pushed. And now we have such a severe problem with addiction and things like that. The Sackler family, a big judgment they were just forced to pay. Um, it just lobbying in general just is to me has gotten so out of hand. It's part of the problem now. And it's not just someone doing a job. It's someone pushing an agenda or a philosophy or a product. And it's like, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. Yeah, you know, I think that's one of the things that's, that Donald Trump, when he was in office, I think that's one of the things that you could chalk up. And believe me, there's a lot to not like about Trump these days. I get it. But he didn't do all bad. The same thing with Obama. No, I mean, he Obama did, did Obama did some really bad stuff, but he didn't do all bad. There were a couple of things I actually agree with Obama on. A couple of things. Literally a couple of things. Same thing with George Bush. There was a couple of things that I agreed with him on. Very, very little, but a couple of things. Uh, the the One of the main things that Donald Trump did was he fired all the lobbyists. And he prevented them from being able to come back for a certain period of time. It was like five years or something like that? Or, or was it like 11 years I, I, I think it was quite. five years from when they left government service. They could not do any type of lobby, uh, lobbying. That's it. If I remember yeah, that's correctly. It. That's it. Yeah. And he, he fired all the lobbyists and then he said they couldn't come back uh, within five years or something like that after having a government job because that's what they do. That, that's what they do. They'll leave the government position that they were in and they will go and become a lobbyist or they will be a lobbyist and they will take a government position. And then after they're done with that position and someone else gets rotated in, they'll go back to being a lobbyist. And it's part of that D.C. swamp. And I understand that you didn't really drain the swamp, but that was part of it. That was part of it is uh, all these all these lobbyists. You know, I've said many, many times a lobbyist is nothing more than a gangster with a briefcase. And that's all these people are. That's all they are is it's a rotating door. It's a good old boys club. And their main objective is to rake in cash and screw the American people. They push their own agenda or their client's agenda. Not the people's agenda. You know, hey, well, we want to try to help you, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But here's what we really want. You play nice with my guys. My guys play nice and get you reelected. That I don't agree with. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you Unfortunately, I don't see a way out of that system. Um, well, a seismic shift. Well, uh, yeah, that actually right there, you just said it. A seismic shift. There needs to be a seismic shift in order for that system to... Well, be changed. And we've talked about many times here before. I mean, we all have kind of our own little uh, ideas of, of what things should be. But quite frankly, if we do what we're talking about, getting back to local politics, then we can scale things back. We can start putting that putting those people out of business. They won't be needed there. The only reason they're needed there is because we've moved away from the local politic. We've moved away from the state level legislation and the state level politic largely. We've allocated everything at the federal level. You you actually said earlier that everything's been uh, reallocated as far as like infrastructure and social programs. All that's been now reallocated to the federal level. Well, the federal level turns around and they dole out the money to the locale for schools with the Department of Education that was established under Jimmy Carter. They uh, turn around and they do this with any of your critical infrastructure, highways, roads, bridges, all the rest of it, hospitals, healthcare, everything like that, insurance, food assistance, everything else. It comes down to the local level from the federal government. And if they don't play ball at the local level, 
If the numbers aren't right, if the numbers aren't what they're supposed to be in order to get that aid, well, then the locale changes the way that they do business in order to suit the needs of what the federal government is demanding in order to get that money. So that's got to stop. That, that's got to stop. Very true, sir. Well said. All right, Bruce, you talked about the Second Amendment. Uh, I, I want to get into uh, you, you mentioned it very briefly there. I want to get into it. It's about private gun ownership. Now, we're all for this. We're all in favor of this. We are for legal, responsible gun ownership. A lot of people in the federal government are of the opinion that, no, you really don't need to own a firearm. No, you shouldn't have any need for that. Well, they make it all about hunting. They make it all about target shooting and everything like that. Yes, hunting, target shooting, totally on board with that. That's the recreational side of gun ownership. But let's be clear. The Second Amendment was not about hunting was not about target shooting. They didn't put the Second Amendment in the Constitution because deer were coming. They put it in the Constitution because the government would eventually become destructive and turn on its own citizens. And that is there for you to defend yourself, defend your life, defend your family's life, defend your community's life. That's what it's there for. Now, this is not an easy thing. To stop tyranny. Exactly. Exactly. To stop tyranny. I say if the government wants to come after people's firearms, well, then let them lead the way. How about you get rid of all your firearms first, and then we'll talk. Of course, there won't be much talking after that, but we'll talk after that. Let's be honest. They would never do that. That wouldn't happen. As a matter of fact, Joe Biden himself said, well, if these, uh, if these gun owners want to take on, uh, take on the federal government, then they're going to need F-15s and nuclear weapons. Isn't that what he said just a couple weeks ago? Yeah. Something similar so, uh, to that. Yeah, something similar to that. As a matter of fact, I think there was a, there's been a spike in the sales of F-15 since then by the American people. But <laughs> what did you, is yours on layaway or is it, you waiting to have yours picked up or, or what? My driveway isn't long enough for a runway. Your driveway's not long enough? Well, you're just going to need to get a new driveway. <laughs> I'll have to apply for a road grant. Well, that's okay because uh, Chuck Schumer's doling out trillions in infrastructure money, I hear. Actually, I make a call. An armed victim. These are some of the success stories you never really hear about. An armed victim turns the tables on a would-be robber in Los Angeles. Now, first of all, it's very difficult to get your hands on a legal handgun in Los Angeles. It's very easy to get your hands on an illegal handgun in Los Angeles. But a gentleman was standing outside uh, around 7, 10 p.m. on Monday, July 19th, so just a few days ago. Two suspects exited from a Dodge Avenger near Melrose Avenue and Vista Street and confronted the victim with a handgun in hand. Words were apparently exchanged. I'm looking at the surveillance video here. Words were apparently exchanged. And the victim ultimately produces a handgun, apparently to defend himself. Yeah, see, apparently. Apparently to defend himself and others because he had two other people with him uh, from these robbery suspects. The victim fired his weapon towards the suspects and all parties immediately fled the location. Now, I don't see a problem. He didn't injure anybody, right? I don't see a problem here. He stopped what what could have been a very bad situation. But this is a this is an example of a successful, responsible, legal gun owner. We go we we hear about this all the time about oh well, uh, th this guy over here who some nut shot up this this neighborhood or this this guy over here shot up this nightclub or this this nut over here shot up a Walmart. But then. All of society has to be punished for the actions of one lunatic. That's how they lost their guns in the UK, was that right there. One guy went out and, and shot up something. I, I can't remember what it was. It was like back in the 70s or something. Went back in, or, or 80s. Went back and or went out and shot up something, and they took all their guns. A good case of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It is. But I liken it to other things. And by that, I mean, this is equivalent. Th this is the equivalent to a guy down the street from you 
robbing a bank. And then the police come and arrest you for it, saying, oh, well, you're in the same neighborhood, so uh, we're going to have to arrest you. Wait a minute. I didn't rob the bank. Well, no, it's okay. The guy down the street did. So we're, we're punishing everybody for what he did, everybody on this block. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. You know, I, I've, I've, been around, I've been around legal gun owners for many, many years. And we're all legal gun owners in here. And I, I've been around legal gun owners for many years. I've never heard of any of them ever using them in a crime. That, that's never been a, a thing that have been, you know, that's circulated within the, uh, within the groups. We understand what they're to be used for and what they're not to be used for. And people follow those rules. It's a simple rule of not only law and order, but personal responsibility. See, if you don't have personal responsibility, then law and order means nothing. It means nothing. Criminals are going to get their hands on a gun if they want to get their hands on a gun. I don't care where you are. The UK, they took all the guns. Guess what? London is a shooting gallery from armed gangs. Explain to me how you can have gang shootouts in London, England, when they have taken all the handguns and all the rifles and all the shotguns, mostly, unless you need a, unless you have a special permit that they really don't give out to just about anybody. So explain to me how that happens there. See, that's a statistic they don't want to talk about. Chicago. We talked about the alderman last week talking about the gun crime in Chicago. Another 42 people were shot in Chicago just the other day. Five of them died from gunshot wounds just the other day. It was on like a, a Tuesday or something, Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday this week that happened. They've taken all the guns in Chicago. They've taken all the guns in Boston. They've taken all the guns in Philadelphia, in Baltimore, in, in Columbus, in Cleveland, in Cincinnati, in Louisville, in Lexington, all these cities, Miami, Los Angeles. They've taken all the guns in these cities, but yet they have the highest gun crime. So my point is, is that the criminals, the criminal elements New York, for example, the, the robberies in New York in the Upper West Side are up 285% this year. People are getting shot out on the streets, in the Bronx, in broad daylight, in New York. Total gun ban in New York. They just had that case in Times Square where a um, Marine was shot just by being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And before that, a four-year-old child was caught by a stray bullet because two idiots were shooting at each other. How? Where'd the weapons come from? Who said? And the guns. Well, who has the guns? The criminals. Yeah, because there's like I said, if there's no personal responsibility, there's no law and order. It, the two cancel each other out. There's no point because if you don't have personal responsibility, well, you're not going to have law and order. Law and order is a counterbalance and it goes hand in hand with personal responsibility. You're smart enough to understand that you don't want to cause yourself or anyone else around you harm or trouble. And so therefore, you keep to yourself, you keep to your family. You keep to your friends, your neighbors, and that's it. You do your business, you live your life. But these other people that get into this this gang mentality, and that's that's what it is, make no mistake, is this this gangbanger idea here, this gangbanger mentality. That idea has been pushed since the early 90s to start the degeneration of society in that regard, is all, all this stuff. Do you know if you go out and you behave like they behave in a rap song, you'll be in prison? That's not cool. That's not funny. That's the degeneration of society. I, I don't that know. It makes money I, for the record companies. It does. It does. And that's a that's a terrible way to make money because you're degrading. Not only are you degrading society, uh, you're also you're profiting from it. You're profiting from the downfall of their own downfall at that. So anyway, um, I wanted to play a clip here of the new of uh, what is he? The new ATF nominee for Biden. Uh, what the hell's his name? Uh, David Chapman. This is the guy, I believe, that ran Waco or was one of the ATF agents during Waco, I believe. And so I, I heard him giving testimony in front of the Senate or whatever it was. This, this guy's full of crap. Uh, but I, I wanted to uh, talk about 
uh, how he sees the American gun owner, right? See how he sees the American gun owner. And tell me if this is a good pick to be the head of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives, which, by the way, I don't even think there should be such an organization. But let's hear him. And so in their mind, uh, they might be confident. They might think that they're diehard, ready to go. But unfortunately, they're more like Tiger King and uh, they're putting themselves and their families in danger. And so what I would suggest is for those people who were first time gun owners, if they did go out and buy a gun, um, I would secure that gun locked and unloaded and hide it behind the cans of tuna and beef jerky that you have stored in a cabinet. And, um, you know, only bring that out if the zombies start to appear. Um, And I don't think they are. Go ahead, Bruce. You can start on that one. Uh, I'll just first start and say no. Um, no, uh, I, I don't even know what to say to that. Like how uh, gaslighting, insulting, like he's he's going after people for exercising their Second Amendment right for I don't even know what to say to it. It's just like, well, first of all, are stupid. you first of all, are you a Tiger King? I mean, he does come from Oklahoma. So are are you a Tiger King? <laughs> that's, that's I honestly I only know the memes of that. I don't know much about that whole. Yeah. So he he's likening the the American gun owner to uh, a Tiger King or whatever this is. I, I don't know. That's a show on Netflix or something like that. I, I'm not familiar with it. I know of it, but I don't know anything about it other than what it is. Uh, but he an seems un, to think an educated redneck. That's yes. a drug addict. That's yes. basically what he's saying. Yes, that. And and you're preparing for a zombie apocalypse, I think he said, that's not going to come. And you should keep that gun um, unloaded and stored behind your cans of tuna and beef jerky. Um, I don't like tuna. Uh, I do like beef jerky, but I'm not going to keep my gun behind either one of those things. I'm going to keep it in my nightstand. Not chambered, but there will be a magazine ready to go if I need to get to it in an instant access pistol safe. Yeah. I actually have mine fairly close in a drawer. All right, uh, Tavis, your thoughts on the uh, <laughs> the guy zombie calling apocalypse? His, yeah, the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, I do not agree with what he was saying. I, I like Bruce said, it was insulting. It was demeaning. I know many people that own firearms. They're responsible. They're secured, easy to get to if necessary for self defense. But they're not lying around with bandoliers of ammunition hanging from the chandelier. They train, they Speak take education courses. Well, okay, I got to let me rephrase that. For those that like to decorate, <laughs> I have, okay. I have my chandelier <laughs> made of, of belt-fed ammunition. What's wrong with you? <laughs> but um, I, I, That does actually sound very redneck. It does. The Second Amendment is a right, but it comes with responsibility. Like you said, responsible weapons owners. You buy that weapon, that can do great damage or death. Get trained, get practice. Be responsible about it. I have no problem with my next door neighbor owning a weapon or the guy across the street, as long as they're responsible about it. If they're getting drunk on the weekend and blowing off rounds in the air, I have an issue with that. But for those responsible people, I what he was saying was just so demeaning and insulting to firearm owners across the country. Whether they're a hunter or sportsman, target practice. I used to love going to the range. I will admit the military gave me a fond appreciation for firearms. But it was responsible, knowing that you could hit your target downrange with precision, not just shoot up the landscape like some of these gangbangers. They hit everything but their target. No. Be responsible. Get training. Get practice. Be knowledgeable what that weapon in your hand is. It's not a toy. It's a deadly weapon and should be treated as such. Like you said, easy access weapon safe. Magazine in, 
but not chambered. You know, you, you hear about kids getting your hands on weapons because Uncle Bill threw it under his pillow in his bed. Yeah, that, I, you know, that's one thing I don't agree with. There should not be just lying around the house. Yes, easy access for self-defense, but your kids have friends over, they find a gun, boom, somebody gets shot. No, there's responsibilities that come with every right. At least that's the way I look at it. No, I, I agree with you there. I, I agree with you there. One of the things that we've always talked about is, yes, we are staunch supporters of, of private firearm ownership. And let's be clear, I mean that for more than just American citizens. I mean that for the people of the UK. I mean that for the people of France. I mean that for the people of Germany. I mean that for the Italians and so on and so forth. Uh, hell, I mean that for the Chinese people, even if you want to go that far, the Japanese people, the Australians, you have a right to defend your life with lethal force if necessary. That is your life. You only get one life. That's your life. You have a right to defend it. But as you say, it comes with responsibility. You must be responsible. His response there was he was quoting about uh, he was quoting things about um, first time gun buyers and the gun ownership, the first time buyers, the, the next check systems that you go through in the U.S. Those numbers have been through the roof since Joe Biden was elected president. His response to that is and you notice that none of what he said was about training. None of what he said was about that. It was more of mocking you. You're going out and you're buying a gun. Oh, you're going to be one of these these crazy loon preppers that's like uh, like the Tiger King, and you're going to put it behind your cans of tuna and your beef jerky. Tuna fish and zombies. Let's remember the key yes. points for what he was saying. Yes, tuna fish and zombies. But rather than him coming out and saying, okay, well, yeah, we've seen a large spike in in first-time buyers. And one of the things that we'd like to portray to people is we're not interested in infringing upon your Second Amendment because, quite frankly, legally, we're not allowed to do that. But what we would like to do is encourage you to go out and learn how to use this firearm properly. That's what he should be saying. If you're to be the, the head of the ATF and you're under nomination, that would be something that you should say. At least, even from a, from a political standpoint, that's something you should say. Review your local laws. Talk to your local police department. Talk to your local sheriff's office. Find out where you can get trained. See if you can join up with your local gun club. Those types of things. They'll teach you how to do this. Hell, maybe even the police departments. I know the county where I come from, the sheriff's office, they put on classes once or twice uh, uh, every couple of months to train people on how to use them. Not specifically concealed carry, but... They also are involved with a local rifle club, and a lot of their deputies go down and shoot with the local constituents. They're ignoring the fact that there is and there can be a responsible gun culture, and they're just turning it into like this 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 clown show saying, oh, well, you're ready for a zombie apocalypse. You're ready for uh, this, you're ready for that. Ignoring the fact that if it were up to people like this, this wolf in sheep's clothing, if it were up to someone like him they would be leading those squads coming in, confiscating your guns. And they don't want you to understand how to use them against people like that when they come to get them. That's my take. I would like to add as well that um, technically speaking, uh, when you look at the Constitution and everything, I know we're saying to be a responsible gun owner and everything, and I agree with you guys. But legally speaking, that is not a requirement. This is just something that we're in, we're telling you to do because it's common sense. You know, they they talk about common sense gun reform and common sense gun laws and all that. <laughs> yeah, this is this is what it is. This is what you you go in and get training. This you learn how to handle the gun, maintain the gun, you know, clean it. That is proper gun control. Um, I 
am completely against any kind of regulations coming in and saying you have to go in and get gun training. I'm sorry. When the government comes in and says um, you have to legally have gun training, they can decide whatever kind of training they they want. They could set the bar so freaking high you can't pay as the average American to go and afford the training to own the gun. I mean, there's so many different levers they can pull when they have that kind of access and authority that they could take your guns away without actually violating the Second Amendment. So, yeah, well, without, quote unquote, you know, violating it in in legal terms, legalese. No, I see your point, Bruce, and I do agree with you. But again, it goes back to common sense is not common. You know, common ground is not common. It's finding that sweet spot where everybody can, hey, this is a good idea. Okay, rights and responsibilities. And there's going to be those on either edge of the the, the topic, so to speak. Oh, we can't do that. Well, you have to do this. It's finding that happy middle ground. You know, I believe in private ownership of firearms, but I also believe there should be that responsibility where you educate yourself on how to use it in a safe, effective manner. Gun control is being able to hit your target. Not everybody else around your target. That used to be the old saying back in the day when I was in the service. I like that. I like that. Gun control is being able to hit your target. I like that. But it's true, you know, and you get that ability through repetition and training. You know, some of my best days were on the firing range, you know. You just, it, it's the ability to use something properly and get the expected result without anyone getting hurt. Well, except the bad guys, you know. Being able to hit your target with accuracy, precision, and safety. That's the way I was taught. And consistency. True that. All right, let's uh, let's shift up a little bit here. Do, do either one of you have anything else to say on on that topic before we move on? I'm good. Okay, <laughs> government's bad. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting to hear that from you. Yeah, please. <laughs> I, was get, I was getting ready to say. Yeah, just go ahead and say it. Get it out of the way. Yeah. All right. Um, let's let's get into uh, let's get into something else here. Let's talk about the Arizona election audit. Okay. Now, some things have come out this week uh, from the, well, last week, too. Uh, they gave their preliminary reports last week. This, um, this audit group did on some of the, uh, the findings that they, that they came across. And about 75,000 mail-in ballots that were not sent out somehow miraculously came back. That's not possible. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing that uh, was, was part of their investigation, but they couldn't complete it, was the routers that were not turned over from Maricopa County. And they're still now in a, uh, a fight to get those routers turned over. Now, I've made it quite clear the last few weeks, my standpoint currently on Donald Trump. Uh, I am not a fan of the position that we're in now because of the, how do I say, um, the inability, well, let me put it this way, uh, the, um, the unwillingness to understand the larger picture when he was in office. Uh, And I'm speaking specifically on the riots of last summer. I'm speaking on the cutting of the red tape for the COVID-19 vaccines that are now wreaking havoc across the continent of Europe and the United States and Canada and Australia. So this has got big implications from that standpoint. And Trump, rather than come out and, and actually say, I'm sorry, I was misled, he doubled down. That right there has turned someone like myself against where he stands on it. Now, again, I like the things that Trump ran on. I like the idea of the America first thing and and getting us out of these these international criminal deals like the Paris Accords and making the cut with China and trying to rekindle a business deal with the European Union and and all the rest of it. I, I like that. Renegotiating NAFTA 
making us energy independent. I, I like those. I, I like the idea that we're regaining control. I like the fact that we had record unemployment for all Americans. And I'm not going to break that down into demographics and play the play the mainstream media race card. That's not the kind of people we are around here. But if you want to get technical about it, lowest African-American unemployment in history, lowest Hispanic unemployment in U.S. history under Donald Trump. But again, I'm off that that whole rah-rah Trump. I really don't care what he does or what he says these days. I, I really don't care. I personally think that the whole mismanagement and the whole debacle and the nightmare that people around the world are dealing with because of these vaccine messes, I hold that administration and him personally responsible for that. Um, I'm sorry, but that that kind of outweighs all the rest of it because we're talking about human life here as opposed to some economic statistics. But I'm also about free and fair elections. I'm also about that. And when you start proving through forensic audits, which they're now wanting to duplicate in Georgia, in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, in Minnesota, in Michigan, all these states that were in question, they're, they're now wanting to duplicate these audits. Now, if you've found that evidence of that fraud, and let's be clear, Arizona was, what was it? 12,000 votes is all that uh, Biden won by, 12,000 votes. Well, you've yeah. got a discrepancy of 74,000, almost 75,000. That, that warrants possibly a reversal, if you can prove. And we're going to need the router data to corroborate that. But again, like I said, I want free and fair elections. I don't care if it's Donald Trump. I don't care if it's Joe Biden. I don't care if it's Hillary Clinton. I don't care if it's Barack Obama, George Bush, Bernie Sanders. If they win and it's legitimate, we tip our hat to it and we deal with it. Amen. As far as legal, uh, legally concerned, um, we're we're for getting this fixed, right? Getting the make sure there's no fraud, make sure it's free and fair. But the whole uh, nonsense that many of the Trump supporters are, are saying, well, Trump will be reinstated. No, he won't. I mean, in it, literally speaking, we don't have anything to gain from this other than free and fair elections. That's it. That, that's all you're going to get from this by, by investigating it. Well, and, and probably pissed off because when you find out what the truth is, it's quite infuriating. But anyway, sorry. But here's no, no, no. Here's the question, though. That, that's a good point you bring up. Here, here's the question. But see, you're right, though. This whole whatever these people are saying, oh, yeah, don't, don't worry. Trump's going to be back in office in October. Take that down the road. OK, I, I, I don't care about that stuff. What I care about is the election integrity in the United States. If you don't have free and fair elections, you don't have a country. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And make no mistake, the elites Klaus Schwab and company, the Davos Group, they are hell-bent on making sure that there are no more elections for any nation, any nation, let alone the United States, least of all the United States. But let's say for the sake of argument, and to be fair, this whole idea that the, the Supreme Court's going to look at the, they're not going to look at anything, the Supreme Court. Some people think that they're going to look at the, the case. Other people think they're not going to look at the case. I'm of the opinion that they're not going to look at the case because they haven't looked at the case. They threw it out immediately and they said, no, we're not going to get involved in that. Oh, if we rule in, in favor of the Trump administration, then the cities are going to burn. Let me tell you something, Jack, the cities are going to burn anyway, because you cannot make a deal with that angry mob that wants to destroy the country. You can't make a deal with it. Capitulating and, and bending a knee to it doesn't get you out of that mess. It doesn't get the American people out of that mess. And we don't get our election integrity back by you kowtowing to the mob. But more to the point, let's say for the sake of argument, let's look at it from the people that believe that the court's going to overturn it. OK, Let, let's just let's just go with that for a second. So it gets proven that there was fraud in all of these states and the counts have to be reversed and the election flips back. 
as you said, Bruce, there's nothing constitutionally that would allow that to take place. Of course, the right thing to do in that case would be for the current administration to vacate. However, I don't see that happening. But the question then comes, and again, we're just speculating here, that's all. We're not saying this is going to happen. We're not we're not saying that this is the road we're going to go down. We're just speculating because we're covering all sides of it. But let's say that that does go down. Let's say that you have the court's rule and the thing does flip and whatever, and the, all these states flip back the other way. They decertify because of all the fraud that's proven and they have all those ballots thrown out and there's nothing that they can do. So the states flip. Do you really go as America, do we really go as the American populace, do we really go three more years, three and a half more years with an illegitimate president that was not elected, legitimately not elected, sitting in the Oval Office? How do you function as a nation with that actually happening? That's the question I'm posing. Again, pure speculation. But since we examine all sides here, where do we go with that one? So let's say that they, the courts do rule that there was a bunch of uh, fraud that went on. And the thing is, is they can't decertify now at this point. They, they missed the window. Decertification, uh, like the chances for that ended January, what, say 20th? Um, like the day before he was uh, appointed. Uh, that 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 was the last day that they could um, uh, remove their vote, if you will. Um, but moving forward, if if that's the case, and let's say they they do resign, or uh, even if they don't, we we do have mechanisms in place. So let's say he's illegitimate uh, and they don't resign. Okay, well Congress would go forward and impeach, and they could choose to remove him. Once he's removed, then it would go to the Speaker of the House, and then they, you would have a chosen president and vice president. The other option would be they resign, and the same thing would happen. It would go to the Speaker, and they would choose a president and vice president. Hypothetically, if I remember correctly, there were over 60 different lawsuits that were filed over the election results with courts of whatever level it might be, all the way from district up to the Supreme Court. Republican, Democrat, independent judges, all of them rejected the premise of the lawsuit that there was a stolen election. So by not getting involved, to me, the courts are saying there's no basis. There's no facts for us to look into. There's, you know, there's no evidence to back up your accusation or your claim of election fraud. Now, as Bruce was saying, if that gets flipped, this is uncharted waters. This has never happened in our history. Yes, there are certain mechanisms such as if the current administration resigns, Speaker of the House, so on and so forth. But then you're still going to have that political divide where no one's going to be happy. One side will be ecstatic. The other side's going to be up in arms, no matter which way this goes. Because look at the percentage of Trump supporters who still believe the election was stolen, without a doubt, and that he will be reinstated anywhere from the next month to the next six months. I don't remember seeing anything in the Constitution that would allow that to happen. As Bruce said, the time of the decertification is over and done with. Now, if it is proven there was election fraud, that's totally uncharted waters. I honestly don't know what would happen. I know it won't be pretty. I know there's going to be a lot of screaming on either side, depending which way it goes. But I personally just I don't know how that'll turn out. I don't know what the procedure would be to actually deal with that. No, because there are if the president dies, the VP dies, uh, the ruled incompetent or unable to perform the duties of their office. Yes, there is that clause 
warrants for the removal of the officials. Then we go to the Speaker of the House, so on and so forth. But are they truly elected? And would there have to be a special election? Again, that's something I don't remember seeing in anything I read about the Constitution in a situation like this. Some kind of, I, I really don't know how this would play out. You know, it's interesting you say that, that we would be in uncharted waters. And that's that's exactly what it would be, because I'm for, I, believe me, I'm, I'm down the center, right? I, I've always voted split ticket. I, hell, I voted for I voted for Republicans, Democrats, Green Party people, Libertarians. Hell, I think I even vo- I voted for independents. I think I even voted for a Constitution Party member once. But regardless, when you start auditing, and I'm not talking about doing recounts, right? You can't do a recount here because that fraud's already in the system. Any fraud. I'm not talking about the 2020 election. I'm talking about going back even further than that. I want to know, as an American voter, I want to know, and I'm sure that a lot of other people would be interested to know, because we're talking, again, at the, at the base of this, we're talking about election integrity. Because if we don't have the integrity of the election system, the electoral system, then none of it matters. So I want, I want audits. And I want them everywhere. I don't want them in just certain states. I don't want them in, uh, in, in, in just at the federal level. I don't want them just in the 2020 election. I want audits and I want to dig. I want to see at the local level, at the state level, at the federal level. I want to know because the reason I want to know so badly now is because of the resistance from both political parties in stopping the audits from the 2020 election. That's why I want to know even more now, because I'm just, and this is pure speculation, I'm just guessing that if you go in and you start auditing in these states at the state level, if you go in and you start auditing, if you audit the congressional elections, if you audit the the federal elections, if you audit the state legislature elections, I bet because of what we led with earlier talking about lobbyists and things and the swamp, I bet If you go in and you start digging and you start looking and you find receipts, I bet you will most likely find that a lot of these people that are our supposed elected representatives probably aren't even supposed to be there. So so just one of the things that, uh, Tavish, you were saying, those um, um, court hearings that they were having uh, on the election stuff, the reasons they would not see those lawsuits, those judges didn't even... They didn't even see the evidence. They just threw them out. They, they weren't even allowed to present the evidence to the judge before the, the case was thrown out. So whether or not there was anything there or not, we don't know because it was never seen in court. But all of this, this is uncharted ground. But, you know, like I said, it's really not going to do us any benefit other than free and fair election because all the mechanisms we have in place the other thing is, is as Johnny was saying, you know, we, we would find out at all levels if, if we would dig in and if, if these audits show that um, it's a going trend, that there was cheating that went on or fraud and we investigate other elections and find out that the same thing happened, hypothetically speaking, we have no mechanism to remove those people from office either. I mean, uh, the, the, there's no like there's no special election clause. There's no there's nothing in the Constitution about those things. So basically, all the politicians would be lame ducks. They would uh, basically not be allowed to do anything until the next election comes around. And at that point, you would have to ensure that all the elections have been made secure. And who's going to do that if all the politicians are, are corrupt or not supposed to be there? I'm just before before you jump in there and, and respond to that, Tavish, I'd just like to say 
all of the politicians, state and federal, them being lame ducks, not being able to do anything would be a whole hell of a lot better than them wrecking everything now, even more. Just I just thought I'd throw that in there. Go ahead, Tavish. Oh, no problem. That's what I meant by uncharted waters. Uh, something of this scale has never happened before. I don't think anyone envisioned it. And yet, I believe going back to lawsuits, isn't it a judge's responsibility to ensure that there are merits to a case before it's brought to trial to ensure there are no frivolous use of the courts? Some of the things that they had to do were get um, warrants and the judges wouldn't even allow them to have access to some of the data. So they presented evidence and we said, look, there, there's some sketchy stuff going on here. Uh, there's some ballot dumps and some videos. There's some I mean, there's stuff that was sketchy and the judges basically just threw the cases out and were like, nah, this doesn't warrant looking into. I mean, you know, 200,000 ballots just being dumped into the system overnight when they said they were done. And we have video evidence of them pulling out ballots out out of boxes under tables and whatnot where they weren't supposed to be. I mean, that that doesn't warrant any kind of investigation. Home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then I will counter with the fact that if there was this, would it not benefit Republican officials at all levels, be it the courts or the board of elections or the election officials to say, hey, we need to do this. We need to look into this and get it done. But Republican judges, the Maricopa County Board of Electors was against the audit. Republicans. So it begs the question, if it would, you know, in theory, if it benefits your party, would you not want to pursue it even further? This is but in this, this case, is whether concern. it's the judges or the county electors. That, that was I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but that was that's my concern. That's why I want to know why are they stopping the audits? Because that's my concern right there is you say, well, wouldn't it benefit them? Not if they weren't elected. It wouldn't benefit them. True. Yeah, the, the board of electors, uh, the election officials, if it's to their benefit, would they not want to pursue it? Now, as Johnny was saying, if they weren't legally elected in the first place, that would be a reason for them to stop it. But in the case of judges who are not elected, at least where we are, um, would you not want to benefit your party by letting the lawsuits proceed forward? And this was at all levels of uh, at state, federal, um, even the Supreme Court. Now, I can understand the Supreme Court can refuse to take up a case without giving a reason. And I think they just looked, this is a can of worms that we do not want to get involved in right now. But in terms of the state and other federal courts, Republican, Democrat, independent, they all said no. So again, to me, it goes back to, were they doing their judicial due diligence by saying there seems to be no merit, therefore we will not waste the court's time until you come up with credible information for us to pursue in a trial. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a catch-22 for these, uh, so... Uh, some of the some of the stuff you're referencing there, the Republicans were overpowered in some of these cases. Uh, they they wanted to have an audit, but they were overruled, if you will. They didn't have enough votes from their party to to push for it. So, I mean, the, the audits that are currently happening are being done by Republicans. The problems that that they had were the judges were saying you need to have evidence for this, and they're like, yeah, that's why we wanted the warrants. We have evidence that that enough evidence to get the warrants, but the judges were saying, no, we're not going to get warrants for this. So then when it goes to court, they're saying, well, you don't have evidence. And it's like, well, yeah, no, duh. We, we weren't allowed the warrants to go and get the evidence because uh, you won't, when it comes to voting and whatnot, it's, it's you know, it, the, the counties are the ones that technically own it, you know, each municipality. So you have to get warrants for uh, getting access to those things. And 
there's a whole chain of custody and everything. So it, it's a very convoluted and, and difficult process. And instead of going through the convoluted and difficult process of doing this, they just said, nah, that was, yeah, it's not, it's not worth doing. It's not worth investigating. And the thing is, whether or not there was uh, um, any kind of uh, fraud going on right now, the, the problem is, is we've seen evidence that there was. So sh should it not be that we show to the American people that, look, you guys' vote counts. So wouldn't both parties be jumping on board like, yes, let's let's audit this. Let's get this nailed down, tamped down. Let's show the American people that your vote counts, that this is all free and fair. I think that's what it comes down to is the fact that there is no clear consensus in either party on how to go forward with this. And it, it's it's turning into small groups in different states are pushing the audits, but it's not a national-led effort by either party. There's no consensus. So for me, it's like we're, we're in these uncharted waters and we're fighting over the helm to see which direction the ship goes. Are we heading for a reef? Are we heading for the open ocean? Are we heading the port? It, it just seems a very confusing situation. And honestly, I'm not educated enough to find my way through this mess. It's just what little I know about the Constitution. There's nothing in there to deal with a unique situation like this. And I think that's why we're floundering around, because there's no clear answer on how to proceed forward. Again, people believe what they want. You know, whether Trump won, Biden won, nobody won. Um, it, it just, to me, it's a muddled mess. And I honestly have no idea how to proceed forward with something of this magnitude. This idea that's, that we're in uncharted waters and you're talking about who wins and who loses, the only loser that I can see in all of this is the American people. We're the losers in all of this in this last election. Again, we were watching things happen on election nights that didn't make sense. Things that happened on that night that didn't make sense. And I know that for a fact because I was awake six hours before the East Coast went to bed and I was watching it in the middle of the night. When they sent everybody home, they said, OK, well, we're going to have to stop all the counts. Everybody over here was wondering what was going on. We've never stopped the counts in a presidential election ever. And it carried on for two, two, three days. You, you don't you don't do that. Sorry. You have a timeline. You have a limit. And that's it. But of course, with covid, we can change everything, can't we? So well, it, it was a unique ahead. situation to have an election. in. that's for sure. But I think it was also the, the lack of leadership or the vacuum of leadership. That there was no clear path on how to proceed forward. You throw in the pandemic, you throw in the partisan politics, and you've got a recipe for gridlock. There was another issue with all this as well. Many of the locations, uh, they, they passed executive orders that basically allowed mail-in voting and that sort of thing. Constitutionally, legally speaking, if, if you're, you're coming at the audits, if you're coming at it from a constitutional standpoint and a legal standpoint, if anything... The governors coming in and saying, hey, we got to have mail-in ballots. I'm going to pass an executive order that okays it. Um, the Constitution says that's decided by the state legislature, not the executive branch. So just from that standpoint alone, you should have been able to... First of all, there should have been fights uh, from both parties saying you can't do that constitutionally. That should have went on long before the election happened. But it did happen. So now... At the very least, we should be going in and auditing and finding out which ones are the legitimate votes that were sanctioned by the legislature and which ones were the executive order uh, dictated ones, which are unconstitutional, which are Ill illegal. I kind of figured it would fall under the state rights clause. But again, the governor versus the legislature, I was not sure of the exact wording on that. But to me, it, it seemed to fall under the state's rights. 
unless it was specifically delegated to the federal government, everything else falls to the states. So would it be a case of state by state deciding its own way? What if the legislature agreed to give the governor that power or did not challenge him if he exercised that power? If the state legislature said, yeah, you, you have the authority to do that, then yeah. Uh, I'm I'm good with it. But if it were uh, like the executive branch, the governor just saying, now we're going to do this, whether or not he was uh, challenged by the legislature, according to the Constitution, uh, the state's powers that you're referencing there, that says that it's each state at the legislative branch has the authority to change it. So the power isn't in the governor's hands and he can't usurp that power. So going in and doing it himself, I mean, technically speaking, it, when it comes down to it, you're you're violating election laws. So, I mean, technically speaking, you could make a case saying that that governor should be arrested for election fraud. Well, then I would pose the question, what if the legislature failed to overrule the governor on his declarations? I would say they would be accessories to that as well. <laughs> well, no, no, I, I, it was a serious question because, again, for me, it's a gray area, not being well versed in that. And it, it seems more like legal questions that arise because I know in some cases legislatures did override governor's edicts and mandates, but in other cases they did not, and the, they were able to sustain the governor's mandate. So to me, if the legislature was involved, now when you say that they're accessories, but to me I also say they were active participants. So would that not satisfy the constitutional clause? If the legislature were in session and said, yes, you're allowed to do this, then that would I, I would agree with you. It it falls under the the clause. But if the legislature did nothing and did not authorize it, there was no legal proceeding that says yes, you may do this. Then the governor was not acting under proper authority, even if the legislature just sat on their hands. Hmm. Well, this is interesting. This it is, interesting. is it is, and you know I think that's a good place to leave it because we're out of time. So we'll leave that one kind of hanging, and we'll let the listener decide of which way that's quite frankly, we need to go because we can't stay on the path we're on. Can we, we can't sit by and say, okay, we'll just let them sort it out. They're not going to sort it out. We also can't accept an illegitimate election, regardless of who wins. It doesn't matter if they're found to be there fraudulently, whether that's a governor, a state secretary, a senator, a congressman, congresswoman, a president, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. A local council person, even if they're illegitimate, if they are found to be fraudulently sitting in that supposed elected seat, then they need to be removed. And that's what it's all about, because if you don't have integrity, you don't have anything. All right. We are going to have to go. But Tavish, I want to thank you for being here today, man. It's been a great, great pleasure to have you back on here. Always fantastic having your take and, and having your view on things. Uh, it's It's been wonderful to have you back on. It's always been an honor to hook up with you guys because we're able to sit down talk to each other, not yell at each other, talk to each other and get informed. We may not always agree, but at least we can listen to each other's viewpoints and acknowledge that, hey, you have valid concerns. I have valid concerns. Get involved, be informed, be educated. That's what everybody needs to do. Not get into the little corner and poke each other with sticks, but have an honest conversation and agree to disagree on some things. But at least you're listening and talking to one another. That's the important thing to me. And that's what I like about you guys. We're not you know, crucifying people. We're not throwing rocks at each other. We can have a conversation that's civil and yet educational. And I value that. As do we, sir. 
as do we. And it's always appreciated. All right. For those of you who have not signed up to our Telegram channel, get over there and get signed up to us. We do put out all of our podcasts we do here every day. We also have a news feed over there as well as a comment section and a discussion group. Uh, So get signed up to us over there and get all that extra content. Also, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so anytime by dropping us an email at dynamicpodcast at protonmail.com. And we would ask you to pass this along to friends, family, and known associates. We are trying to grow, but we do need your help in order to do that. So if you could pass this along, we would appreciate that. We are available everywhere you get your podcasts. Also, if you're rating podcasts, if you give us a rating when you get a chance, we would appreciate that as well. Five stars would be a plus. Thank you very much. All right, that's it for today. I want to thank you, gentlemen, for being here today. Thank you to all the listeners. Everyone have a great evening.